Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. I just want to introduce uh, my beautiful wife. This is Therese. Stand, say hi. If the greatest among you is the servant of all, she'll be in the front row in heaven, and I'll be in the back with binoculars. (laughs) Hey, honey, what's it like up there? Uh, Our 37th anniversary was just on the 15th, and uh, we, we we have seven children. Complete silence. I never wanted to go to war with one arrow. (laughs) Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. Come on. They will not be ashamed when they contend with their enemies in the gates. If you've had one, that's okay. Just have tons of spiritual children. Adopt about a thousand. We'll just change the world. That's just how it works. He's a generational God. He's the God of our fathers. he thinks generationally. He's God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm, I'm actually, uh, my own generational line goes way back into the 1700s. A man named, uh, a little boy named Jacob Engel, one year old, came over with his mom and dad. Religious persecution came over to Susquehanna Valley and uh, came to Philadelphia on, on a ship. 49 kids were on that ship, uh, and uh, disease swept that ship. 50 kids were on that ship. Disease swept the ship. 49 children died. One lived, Jacob Engel. The mothers gathered around Anna Engel and said, surely your son has a great destiny. He founded the Brethren in Christ denomination in America, and I'm the eighth generation of preachers. And I'm convinced that the blessing on my life and the call was not about my holiness or anything like that. It was about generations of intercession that still weigh heavy on the scales of America. He's not written off America yet. I believe we're going to see the greatest revival in history. You say, well, Lou, it sounds kind of like hype. Well, I'm I've just decided that I will not, my life will not be de- defined by statistics. My life will not be defined by my failures. My life will not be defined by how the government of the United States is. My life will be defined by the dreams and prophecies spoken over me. I want to live my life under a shadow of a dominating prophecy, not under the shadow of accusations, how much I have failed. God has the last say over America, not CNN or Fox, not Trump or anybody else. I, I, I am an optimist because I've come to believe that God is the dreamer of our dreams. And if we will dream with him and then step into his theater of dreams and act upon them, we will literally ride and walk on the stage of history. I have a story today. It's a good story. My story meets yours today. It's a story of revival. It's a story about Dallas. It's a story about ending abortion. Holy Spirit, help us today. But I feel like I'm in a sovereign moment. All of history, the whole church was born in an upper room. God, this is the birthing center in every city. Give us upper rooms that can get the tongue of fire. In Jesus' name, God. See, when Michael told about the dream. It was AT&T Stadium. He sent this dream to me. I've been around long enough to, to know that dreams are not figments of your imagination and some kind of Freudian, Freudian just kind of bubbles up some kind of murk out of your subconscious. Dreams are one of the main ways God speaks to us. 
the last day's language of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll pour out my spirit. You'll dream dreams and see visions. We should be hungering for the dreams of God. We sleep a third of our lives away. Why not? Maybe God just puts anesthesia on us to shut off our busy minds so he can think his thoughts and lean down into the middle of the night and kiss us with bread from heaven. I, the Bible is the word of God. It is our foundation. But it's nice to have a personal love letter every now and then. How do I know you? Yeah, but help me, I forgot. The Dallas Rumble. The Rumble's still on. Turn with me to Psalm 40. Come on, I want to, I, today, I want to, I want to turn loose the dream stream. In fact, it was in, 19, in 2003, I came through Dallas to Trinity Church. God had, through dreams, sent us on a journey to pray for the ending of abortion. But through a dream, the Lord spoke to us, you can't deal with abortion unless you walk in the sandals of the Native American pain. Because it's part of the ongoing broken covenants in America, native African-American injustice. And abortion is the far end of covenantal breaking. By the way, if you've had an abortion, thank God for his outrageous mercy. And that your pain can become your greatest prophecy. And we start adoption movements and crisis pregnancy centers and folks this is how we, we don't live in the shadow of our failures we get a prophetic word that tells us how to your pain will become your greatest prophecy that's how you live your life listen god's written a story about your life before you're ever born and if you messed up the story he's really good at rewriting the script come on in fact, born again is the beginning of the author of your story. And if he authors your story, he also wants to finish the story. He didn't just leave it up to you. Come on. I'm already way off into my sermons. Psalm 139 is the great, the great sermon where he says he knows me, he knows my thoughts. That always seems to be kind of scary. But, you know, he searches me, he knows me, my way, he winnows my path. He hedges me in behind and before. That is good news. The whole chapter ends with I knew you before you were born. I wrote a book about your life. All your days were written in that book before you were ever born. Come on. This is incredibly I'm fearfully and wonderfully made he started this whole thing with a dream about you before you were ever conceived see who we are we are a dream of God and he wrapped a body around a dream so we could fulfill it that's incredible you are a dream from God you might think it was a nightmare just the fourth chapter, it really starts heating up. It really. <laughs> no, no, I just stay on that for a moment. Nothing gets me more that God is the author and the finisher of our lives. That means he wrote something, a scroll over our lives before we are ever conceived. In fact, we were known before the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. God had a dream about your life before you were ever conceived. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. Because God knew you were coming. Because he had a dream about you before you were ever born. And he wrote a scroll about your life, a storyline. And if this is true, that means that it, our lives are not left up to our, our own decisions. There is not just an author. There's someone who hedges you in behind and before. And when you make your bed in hell, Psalm 139, he comes haunting you and hunting you down. Man, that's good news. 
You know, the hedges is in behind the foot. This is called hedging. Bam! You hit your head on. This is not working. Bam! This is not working. Oh! Some of us have pretty thick heads. Get a clue, it ain't working. There's someone hedging you in behind and before to get you on the right path. The author just didn't write the book and said, hope you make it. He says, I'm gonna be with you through the whole storyline until I see the fulfillment of that dream. Now, you might have heard the illustration. You know, Joseph, by the way, you really don't want a dream. Joseph had a dream. He had a dream. You're going to know he's going to bow. His brothers are going to bow down before him. They, they hated him for it. And, you know, they had another dream that he's going to rule the world. And his dad got mad. But then he pondered it in his heart thinking, this could be God. Stunning to me. He gives him a dream, but he doesn't tell him any of the bad news. Stadiums will be filled. There goes Lou and Michael to AT&T Stadium. That is trouble. <laughs> that spells trouble, Michael. I've been in a lot of trouble. God. I've done so many stadiums and arenas. And said, it's trouble. The whole thing is trouble. But at the end, you're saying it was worth it all. The Bible says we are his poema, his poetry. He didn't write mathematical. If you're a mathematician's glory, we need some smart dudes. Us artist guys, you know, we just rock. I need to get to the message. But, but actually, you just got to love that. He gives him a dream, and he doesn't tell him the bad news. He doesn't tell him the bad news because he wouldn't volunteer for it. And some people say you shouldn't really tell your dreams with the wrong people because they'll throw you in a pit. People say, well, Joseph shouldn't have shared his dream with his brothers. My answer is this. How else is he going to get to Egypt? In fact, a dream from heaven, there's an ache inside of you to tell the dream. Because once you speak the dream, you begin to turn it loose. It's like prophecy, let there be light. And bones begin to rattle and movements begin to occur. Inside of you, a dream is a potential movement. It's not just for yourself. Dreams are actually movements to change the whole world. Tell your dreams. Yeah, you be careful who you tell your dreams with. They'll throw you in the pit. He, he, let's, let's graph Joseph's dream. You know, you, you know, stories are not graphs. They're, they're poetry. They're art. They're art. But if you would graph Joseph's dream, it would be, be like this. Loved by his father, hated by his brothers. Has a dream he ruled the world, hated more by his brothers. Gets a multicolored coat, hated more by his brothers. <laughs> Thrown into a pit as dead and becomes a prisoner in Potiphar's house, becomes the ruler of Potiphar's house, falsely accused of rape and doesn't get bitter. That's the whole deal. When you start not forgiving people, you shut down the whole storyline. John Dawson says, how you react when you've been hurt by your brother is the key to promotion in the kingdom. It has to happen. How you react when you're hurt by your closest brothers, it, 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 you know what I'm saying. Promotion comes through forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he ascends into heaven. That's how ascension in the kingdom comes, by forgiving people that wound you. Betrayal is coming to you. It is. Those the most treated harshly and wounded the most, if they can forgive, get the greatest authority to lead people into their destinies or a nation. 
Will Ford, that great man, friend. You've heard of Will Ford. He and I made a covenant to go against racial division and ending of abortion. Right there at Dexter Baptist Church where Martin, uh, Martin Luther King preached. The night before we preached in that church together, black and white man together, he had that dream. And in that dream, he and I pull up to pick up Martin Luther King to get in our car. He comes out carrying a white bag with black handles. Martin Luther King does. Before he gets in our car, he takes the bag and violently empties the contents out. Will goes to pick it up as, an, uh, as a souvenir. And Martin Luther King grabs him by the, by the shoulders and says, don't pick up that baggage got the interpretation it's a white bag with black handles it's how the blacks handle the white baggage we've given to them if they could empty out and forgive us they literally get authority to lead the parade of history i believe the great revival could come through the african-american experience in the days of the greatest racial crisis Someone's going to have another word, and if it's not rage, it is, Father, forgive them, for they know what to, and they will get more authority, like William Seymour and the Azusa Street Revival. It's how it works, folks. He goes, and he's falsely accused of rape, doesn't get bitter, thrown into thrown into prison, becomes the ruler of the prison, interprets a dream in prison, forgotten in prison. They say, well, everyone else is getting promoted, but not me. Good. Must be a good story coming. <laughs> Pharaoh has a dream. He interprets it becomes the rule of the world. The dream's fulfilled. If you graph it and draw a graph, draw a line under it, it's a crown. It was a story written by God before you were ever born. And it invaded him as a young 17-year-old with a dream. Folks, it's time to take the dreams off the shelf and stop saying it's just a dream. Just a dream. Who knows what demons you, that angel had to fight through to deliver that message of AT&T. I dare to believe AT&T Stadium is going to be filled, not for a day, not for a night, but thousands will come and they'll be healed, not because of a good organization, but because the glory has come. The presence has come. Stadiums are going to be filled all across America. How do you know this? I've heard the prophetic word, and I would rather go down believing the prophets rather than being jaded, filled with mediocre unbelief. Father, I am going to believe my way straight through this, and if I don't see it, I got seven kids. Come on, upper room, give us lots of kids. I'm serious. The original mandate never stopped. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The problem with the world is not too much population. The problem with the world is not enough righteous offspring to govern it. I got a little lesser clap on that one. The Muslims actually understand the world mandate more than we do. Some lady said during the Iraq war, she said, we'll win this war. Because you see, I'm 50 and I have 12 children. While the Americans only have two. She understood that generational legacy produces dominion. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. Anyway, I wasn't going to get into that, but... I came through Dallas, going through the South, 70 young people trying to feel the pain of God over the African-American issue. Then we walked 750 miles on the Trail of Tears, seeking to walk in the in sensitivity and the pain of the Native American. I came through Dallas, went into Trinity Church, and they had a little line there up on their wall in big letters, and it says, dream stream. And I looked at it and I thought, there's a poem in that two words. And I wrote the first part of it. If you hang around the dream king, you get into a dream stream. That's all I got. <laughs> but Will Ford was with me. 
And he says, Lou, I got the second part. If you hang around the dream king, you get into a dream stream, you join yourself to a dream team, and you do the Martin Luther King thing. (laughs) If you know anything about Will and Matt's story, it's all dreams. And the greatest story, one of the greatest stories ever told is beginning to be formulated now. It's going to go into a movie. How, where Will Ford was the slave, they found out his family were the slaves of Matt Lockett's farmer. People, I don't have time to go into it, but it's so stunning that they are literally fulfilling what they're saying, that Martin Luther King's message on the Lincoln Memorial was, was, was not poetry. It was a prophecy. That on the red hills of Georgia, the, the sons of former slaves would live in fellowship with the sons of former slave owners. They're taking the message around. See, this is what happens with dreams. Nightmares are all around us. But the dreamer of dreams injects hope by giving a dream into a people, into a man. And then they don't say, cool, just had a dream. They begin to step into it. First of all, not by trying to pull it off, but by birthing it in the upper room. The birthing room is the prayer room. The only thing that Jesus left behind when he left the earth was a prayer meeting. And that prayer meeting birthed the church and it's always been birthing. You could try to have great programs. You could try to have Apple TV or whatever those things are, windows. But only the prayer meeting could get fire from heaven down on it. I tell you, the Moravian lampstand is rolling again in the earth. And we're not seeing it in its fullness, but we will see it. Years ago, it doesn't matter anyway. He has a dream, 1982 in Maryland, of a black man saying, come to Los Angeles, there's going to be a great revival. What if we would have said, oh, it's just a pizza dream? What if we didn't do it? Twelve of us go, and I'm reading a book called Azusa Street by a man named Frank Bartleman. Maybe you've heard the story. He was an intercessor in the Azusa Street Revival. A white dude didn't know that a black man down the road, William Seymour, was... was, Who knows what all's going on in this city right now? 1905, he fasts so much, they think he's gonna die. He mobilizes prayer. He's burning for revival. He says, some of us are only living for one thing, revival. He said, I'd wake up in my sleep prophesying revival. Come on, it's not enough just to enjoy the presence. I think something's happened. We're being preg- becoming pregnant with revival. And when you do, you start dreaming about it. It's all you're thinking, this baby's coming. Something. It's going to fill stadiums. It's not about stadiums. The stadiums is but an icon, symbol of a mass awakening that's taking place everywhere. And Jesus, the evangelist, is breaking out everywhere. This is what we're believing. I read that book and lit me on fire called Azusa Street Revival. Moses had a burning bush, but I had a burning book. I found my scroll in another man's scroll who prayed in the same city 100 years before me. I was digging an ancient well. There's a river in Dallas that's underneath this place. And the place they call Cotton Bowl is actually Three Rivers Stadium. Did you know that? My friend didn't know that when we did the Trill of Tears. He had a dream. He saw a newspaper, and it said, Senators play Indians in doubleheader. Doubleheaders are two games back-to-back in baseball. Senators play Indians in doubleheader. Scene changes. He's reading the newspaper after the game, and it says, it says, in the first game, in the first game, Senators slaughter Indians. That's what happens. Broken covenants and the Native Americans. Second came, says this. Senators bow before Indians as Justice Homers in the 11th at Three Rivers Stadium. 
In November, the 11th month, we gathered here in 2003 in the Cotton Bowl, burned to believe with Native Americans and praying for the ending of abortion that Dallas is an epicenter of bringing forth justice and revival. It's the 11th month. Justice homered in the 11th. We didn't understand Three, sta- uh, three Rivers Stadium until my friend looked it up and found out the cotton that Dallas was, first of all, called Three Rivers And the Cotton Bowl was Three Rivers Stadium. In other words, streams of covenant coming together to bring forth revival and justice into the... This is who you are, Dallas. You are America's city. I prophesy in your destiny. This is where Roe v. Wade was passed. Folks, this is where it's going to end. I'll go there if I get a chance to go there. God help me. I'm reading that book. Frank Bartleman. It lights me on fire. I said Moses had a burning bush, but I had a burning book. Have you ever read a book that lights you on fire inside? Draw close to that burning bush or that burning book. Draw near to it and don't say, wow, that was kind of a neat little spiritual experience. I read it and I could hear my name being called in the burning bush, in the burning book. And I went into 18 days of fasting. And one night I cried to God, give me the mantle of Frank Bartleman. I don't want to read about revival. I want to see revival. I want my kids to live in revival. The next I prayed like I'd never prayed out in my garage, wailing, yelling. Sometimes you got to yell at God. Some people say that, that's, that, old, that, that, that prayer, that Jabez prayer, oh, that you'd bless me indeed and extend my boundaries, lay your hand upon me, deliver me from Satan's uh, deliver me from evil. Some people say, well, it's just a formula prayer. There's one word in that prayer that keeps it from being a formula prayer. It's the first one. Oh! Oh! That you would bless me indeed. In my boundaries, make my life extraordinary. Lay your hand upon my life. Some of us got to come down out of small mindedness and in that, out of our small tents into the big tent of God. Lift up your eyes, upper room. Your children will be like the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashore. The unreached people groups are looking for your sons and daughters. Lift up your eyes from a nice service here where we're filling the presence of God where billions don't even have near, don't even have the name of Jesus. Upper rooms were meant to get a tongue of fire on you so you'd be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. There's a missions movement coming out of the upper room movement and you will send your sons and daughters into Saudi Arabia. You'll send your sons and daughters into Tibet. This is the destiny of the church. We're thinking too small. Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you can think or imagine, Man, I'm imagining some stuff. We're already thinking 20 times too small. That's why we don't pray it. This is why dreams come into our life. Dreams come into our life to show us what's possible. And then we throw our prayers and we pray our dreams. Can we put that screen up? Uh, the 818. Can you put that up there? Can we do you get that up there? Can we make it as bright as possible? I just did an 818 conference. This lady and her husband came to Will Ford to Havlin, said, we, we, we have a billboard company. We'd like to put a couple billboards in Dallas. And, uh, and they said, okay. They thought it would just be some kind of small. Evidently, it's a big billboard on 67, Highway 67. That's the billboard they put up there. That's me. Now, why the heck did they do that? And what was it? It was a quote. Dreams and prophetic promises are invitations into intercession. Pray your promises over and over and over again. I've done this for years. You get a dream from God rather than saying, ah, that could never happen. You begin to pray it into being. I tell you, you're going to start from this day on. Stadiums, you're going to begin to think every time you go to pass AT&T, God, fill the stadiums. This is how it works. Dreams are in invitations into intercession. Dreams invite you into the big thoughts of God. 
I could go home now. If you just did this, you'll change your whole life. I pay so close attention to my kids' dreams. I'm a, uh, we, uh, our family is, is a dreamer, dreamer of dreams. Give them a dream. They forget things. I, I keep praying them. One time I got a boy named Josiah. Josiah said, I was teaching him the, in the Bible of the story of Josiah. My son was just a skateboarding whatever. <laughs> Couldn't understand him. Still don't fully Oh, I understand him now. That's not right. His dream is to give the Himalayas to God through prayer walking because he had a dream in a window. Come on. No, this is the ways of God. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the Josiah story. And out of the blue, this skateboarder kid just said, who knows, Dad? One of us three boys may tear down the altars of Baal in America. back to being a skateboarder I've never been the same I've been praying let him tear down the altars of Baal and now his dream is way beyond America he wants the altars of Baal in the Himalayas this is how it works you prayed into being and he's already acting out way beyond your thoughts and imaginations it's time to get God's photos in our minds. The fact that Greek word of imaginations is the word from which we get photos. Put photos in your mind, not a past bad memory. Put some photos in your mind that the dreams of God have put there and begin to look at those photos, your imaginations, and unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond those imaginations. I read that book, Frank Bartleman. It possessed me cried out to God the next day a brother walks up to me he has no idea what I'm praying and he says Lou I had a dream last night and in this dream I saw a big black book and the title was revival he said I turned the inside of the cover I saw a guy's face and his name was Frank Bartleman and his face turned to your face Lou and instantly I knew the, the, the title of the scroll of my life before I was ever born the title of my book of the author and the finisher is Revival. Yeah. And my calling is to be a fasting intercessor, to mobilize prayer. Little did I realize in 85, I, I would be mobilizing stadiums and arenas all over the world. I never dreamed of such a thing. I'm talking to businessmen. I'm talking to teachers. I'm talking to administrators who are going to be the future leaders of their school districts. I'm talking about those who begin to pray into businesses and law unto him who is able to begin to believe the thoughts of God and refuse to say it's just a dream. I've lived under the shadow of that dream. And my book meets your book today, Michael Miller. Our book is revival. <laughs> Our book is an upper room, anointing, prayer, fasting, and worship. Whenever God finds an upper room, I'm looking for the tongue of fire. It may take 20 years, I don't know. But by the way, if it takes 20 years, I'm just not going to give up. And I'm not going to even disqualify myself by my own failures because I have a lot of those. There's one who qualifies me. Christ, his righteousness. His thoughts toward his son are the thoughts toward me. I, my life is hidden with Christ in God. When God looks at me at all my ugliness, he doesn't even see it. He sees his son in his perfect array of righteousness. And he says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Come on, that's glory. Stop disqualifying yourself. Let's get off the accuser's page. Glory. It was about a week or two later. I was at a women's glow meeting. You know, you know what those are? No, those are Pentecostal days. We're puny costals. I never thought I'd see holy rollers. 
I heard of the Pentecostals until the fire fell in Pasadena. I saw people under the power of God rolling whole gym floors. I thought, this is so crazy. What can I say? One lady gal said to me, she took me outside the lawn. She says, my life was changed right here. I walked out of that building and the spirit of God fell upon me and I began to roll on the grass and it was transformed by the power of God. I don't understand. Revivals are ugly. I never liked it. <laughs> I messed up my mind. But boy, I saw the fruit in those people's lives that had an encounter with God. I said, I'll tell you, I'd rather do this than religion the rest of my life that is safe and clean. Get some oxen in the stall. I was at this women's glow meeting. This At the end of the meeting, I wasn't speaking. I, I, I wasn't a woman. I wasn't a glow. At the end of the meeting, I, I'm just, I think I was a sponsor. The call never happened yet. And I'm just standing there at the end of the meeting thinking, what am I doing here all alone? A black lady walks up to me. She says, you know, in 1906, there was this black lady praying with this guy named Frank Bartleman. She says, I feel like I'm that black lady looking for that Bartleman. I said, lady, we got to talk. These things started following me. Why? Because when you hang around the dream king, you get into a dream stream. When you begin to believe, when you begin to act, when you begin to pray the things, when you begin to act upon, he begins to give you more. But to those doubters, those who has, what they have shall be taken away from. But those who have and do something, more shall be given. It's time to loose a dream stream out of there. You've already been in the dream stream. Look at this, but your dream's too small. Step outside tonight, look at the stars, and you'll see AT&T stadiums, and you'll see unreached people groups, and you'll see lawyers, and you'll see presidents. I got a spiritual son I'm believing he's going to be president of the United States because so many prophecies. It's impossible, but every rhema shall be possible with God. That's the deal. If he spoke it, the very word itself has the energizing power to create that which was spoken, folks. And it, listen, and you probably got to stick around long enough. People think, well, you did the call. You just came easy. No, I was 47 years old when the call began. Years of small little prayer meetings. I remember the prayer meetings. The garage would be packed. My garage at 6 o'clock in the morning with 120 people every morning. The spirit of God, the spirit of prayer. And then it died. And I remember having a prayer meeting with a little old lady down the street from another church. She liked the way I played my five-string guitar because I didn't know how to string guitars. <laughs> but all those years of little prayer meetings... And then one day God says to me, basically, he, uh, he, he didn't say, it to, he, yeah, he kind of did. He basically said, you've held your little prayer meeting faithfully for all those years. I'm going to pull the curtain on your prayer meeting and I'm going to take your prayer meeting public. And on September 2nd, 2000, 400,000 young people gathered for 12 hours of fasting on the mall in D.C. I wept behind those big speakers thinking, how did you do this, God? Unto him who is able. Come on, forget your failures. Believe God. The last and the next chapter. Dreams are like spies. They show you what's in your future. They're like the spies that shows you what's out there. And you can either believe and fearful of the giants and refuse to cross over and play safely because it doesn't make sense to your pocketbook. Or you could be like Abraham, leave everything to follow the voice. And when you follow the voice, it won't make sense to your parents. It won't make sense to your friends for your obedience threatens their apathy. Everybody wants to make everybody on the same plane. The great dreamers of his dreams are the Caleb's and Joshua's who stay alive for 40 years while everyone else is wilting in the desert. They are not living. Caleb wasn't wandering in the desert. He was living in his dreams. He was living in what he had spied out in the promised land. Do you see what I say? He's not wandering. He said Israel wandered. He wandered. He said, I, he didn't say I was wandering. No, all he saw was Hebron and that big 
dude. <laughs> Curious Arba, the big giant. Someday, I got some grapes and some milk and some honey, but I want that giant. I want the giant of Tibet. I had a dream and said, as I'm waking, the voice of the Lord, seven lamps aflame at night will put the Buddhist world to flight. I want seven lampstands, upper rooms on the mountains of Tibet challenging losses, hell. We should be asking big prayers. We need to think imperialistic in our prayers. I thank God I got a little hangnail. Pray for Freddie and George and their little hangnail. That's all good. But who's going to pray for nations when Jesus has asked for 2,000 years? Ask of me. I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. If he's been asking 2,000 years, don't you think the church on earth should be agreeing with him in heaven and asking for Caucasus Mountains? Don't you think they should be asking for Kurdistan? Don't you think they should be asking for Afghanistan or Somalia? Give me the horns of Africa. got a son. I have to be careful. His dream is Somalia. And I got a daughter whose dream is Afghanistan. And they've had dreams about being martyrs. And should I say, don't do it? My God, get a crown on your Live something more than a great American existence. Filled with big houses and nice kids who stay nice but don't have fire in their souls. I want kids, I don't care if they're successful, I want them to burn. I want them to be in love with God. This should be our desire. Well, I'm so far gone on this message. I do wanna give you two dreams, two streams. I prophesied in the 90s Promise keepers, the kids are going to go to the mall. 1999, have you ever had a prayer that defines your whole life? One prayer that defines your whole life. 1999, I was praying, God. I was reading a book about Nehemiah's massive mobilization project. Isn't it amazing how God puts books in your hands at the right time? And I'm reading... And something arises of faith in my heart. And I began to cry and went into travail. And I prayed this prayer. How could I turn America back to God? It seemed like a pretty outrageous prayer. But I was crying. How could I turn America back to God? And something clicked inside of me. And I felt as if I reached up and touched the face of God. And I got a hold of God. At least for one moment. Have you ever prayed a prayer and at least for one moment you felt this? You knew that could happen. Anybody have that happen? I knew it. Of course, I woke up the next morning thinking, oh my gosh, who's going to pay for it? <laughs> the next morning I was a mere mortal, but for a moment I'd stepped into another world in prayer. Had gotten a hold of God. Little did I know what that prayer was kicking into motion. For right soon after that, a woman comes to me. She says, you don't know who I am, but the Lord told me to pay your salary this year because you're going to start something with the youth of America in prayer and fasting. They'll change the destiny of the nation. I'm thinking, who are you, lady? As I've said a million times, but I took her money. <laughs> she paid my salary for 16 years. A millionaire who had a dream in her heart that the youth of America, we could see a great revival. She comes to me three months later. She said, have you ever thought about putting kids on the mall like promise keepers put them in? I said, ma'am, I prophesied it two years ago. She said, I'll give you $100,000 to start it. I'm kind of flipping out because I don't know what to do. with. I'm thinking I'm wasting her money. I have no gift of organization. When God was handing out left brains, he left mine out. It was gone completely. I, 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 I hardly tried to call me, huh, Michael or Peter? I don't answer phones. 
emails. I am in the dark ages. I hate all that stuff. It just disturbs my peace. I just need a couch so I can rock on and meditate. Sometimes we've got too many organizers and not enough visionaries. The trouble with the world is, the trouble with most Christians is not that they're unmotivated. They're listening to the wrong dreamers. I have a dream can mobilize masses. I've been praying over the last two days. I want to see mass movement in America that the news can't shake. That the news cannot, cannot ignore it. African-Americans stadiums, I prophesy, stadiums are going to be filled with an African-American music and prayer movement. Nazarites and missionaries. It could happen. There's angels in the outfield. I didn't even organize a meeting. I shared this story with this evangelist, Baptist evangelist. Thank God for Baptist evangelists. He calls me back two months, two, uh, a month later or so. He says, Lou, I have organized all the major youth leaders in America to come to Breckenridge, Colorado to hear your story. Would you like to come? <laughs> Josh McDowell, others. And I step into a meeting I didn't even organize because God himself was moving sovereignly. I want to see sovereign movements, not just those organized, but sovereign from the house of prayer where heaven is invading earth. This was a move of God. And I saw a scroll roll down before me, Psalms 40. Lo, it is written of me, burn offerings and sacrifices you have not desired, but my ears you have opened. Oh, I love that passage. God is not into religious sacrifices. He's into a, a relationship where he opens your ears. And when he opens your ears through a dream or a prophetic word or a movie or a song or the Bible, something opens inside of you and instantly divine motivation surges through your being. Because in the very word, the breath of God comes into your soul. I'll never forget reading the story of William Wilberforce, the abolitionist on a plane coming home from Canada. And the Holy Spirit just stopped me abruptly. said, you will raise up a prayer movement for the ending of abortion in America. I began to weep and weep and weep. When we launched this movement, I, I, I ended up going to the Amazing Grace movie. Ever see that movie? As a young man, when I got converted, I preached in a movie theater. I thought I was crazy. The Lord said, I want you to stand up and preach. I said, no. <laughs> and some fire began to burn in my butt. I'm preaching. I run out of it, crying my head off. Thinking something is wrong with this young man. Years later, watching that movie, the end of that Amazing Grace movie, and you see those guys with the bagpipes, you know, the bagpipes, and the credits are beginning to roll. People begin to stand. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you did it before when you were young. Can you still preach in movie theater? I stood up because it was a jam-packed audience. I'm sitting almost on the front row watching the movie like this. I stand up. Face the crowd, let's pray. Everyone stops. God, I pray that you would raise up a Wilberforce in America to end the slave trade of abortion. And then I kind of, this lady walks up to me afterwards and she says, you know, at the end of that movie, I was thinking, if Lou Engle were here, he'd stand up and start preaching. And then you did. How did I get onto that? Whatever the case. Oh, I had a dream. Burn offerings and sacrifices you have not desired, but my ears you have opened. There's glory when God opens your ears to your destiny. But something happens spiritually, and it's not just a cool thing. It's something you're, he says this, burn offerings and sacrifices you've not desired, but my ears you have opened. Then I said, when? Then I said, I delight to do your will. Sacrifice is delight when it's born out of an open ear, rather than I have to do this to please. 
He wants a relationship. Morning by morning, he awakens me. He awakens my ear to listen like one being taught Isaiah 50. This was Jesus, the servant. Every morning, the father would waken him and waken his ears to listen as to his assignments during the day. Burn off his sacrifice, you not desire, but my ears you have opened. Then I said, I delight to do your will. I love the next part. Then I said, here I come. This is not this is this is not pride. This is this is not to be able to say, here I come. It's written of me in the scroll. You didn't get that. To find out what's written in your scroll and to say to the world, here I come, because I know who I am. John the Baptist wasn't struggling with low self-esteem when they came and says, who are you? Who should we tell you sent you? Are you the prophet? Are you Jeremiah? She says, no, I'm not any of these. I said, who are you? And he says, and he says, who are you? And he says, I'm the Isaiah dude in chapter 40 of Isaiah. You've been reading about all these centuries. He's not struggling with who he is. He knows his job. Here I come. I am an Isaiah 40 roaring in the desert. There's some people that are going to stage, stand on the stages of history and, you, and they're going to rock the world. And there's going to be people who simply are known at the throne and nobody knows them, but heaven knows them. Like the man, Dick Simmons, who one night overlooking the gang, uh, uh, New York City off the Hudson River at midnight, crying out, Lord, the harvest, hurl forth laborers into the gangs of New York City. Police come to arrest him for disturbing the peace. He says, I'm praying for the gangs, for laborers to go to the gangs. They said, keep praying. Little does you know that night, a man in Pennsylvania is reading Life magazine about the gangs of New York City and God breaks his heart. His name is David Wilkerson. Yeah. And the cross and the switchblade and Nikki Cruz and Times Square, all born by a summon who could preach to God and never preach to man. If you could preach to God, you can move the world. If you can move God, God can move men. Give us intercessors who are known at the throne that break the alabaster box and you don't need a name known by people. I believe the greatest preachers are the guys that God's gonna say, step aside. And that little old lady is brought in before.